This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive and necessary and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can't afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapists, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Welcome back to the podcast. We've been talking a lot about 2023. Many words. And the thing that I've realized, we're not even out of January yet. The thing that I've realized is this year is full. The (laughs) amount of stuff we're already talking about doing has kind of shocked me, and I want to start right here. Go to the Adventures tab on our website, everydaydriver.com, the Adventures tab. You will see all three major adventures we are doing this year. They also have dates published. They do not have registration up for any of the three, but just want you to be thinking about it right now because we've got our standard pilgrimage trip, which is... The Nurburgring and Spa, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's all-inclusive. There's lots of driving, lots of instructors, helmets, cars. It's amazing. There's also the Utah Adventure, which is going to happen in late June. And then there is a new Rocky Mountain Adventure happening in western Colorado in uh, late September. We're going to have all three of them not only published, because they are published now, you can see the dates, but information is coming soon on all three, and registration is coming soon on all three. And, and I don't know another way to put this. Plan your year with us. Absolutely. I don't know. Come on all three, but the reason we did this was so you could see an overall view of the year mm-hmm. instead of trickling them out. We hope this is helpful so you can see and, and put dates on the calendar because that also has to do with our planning and reservations because of the natures of the trip and yep. the hotel yep. and costs involved. There's going to be hard deadlines of things that are due and past this point, there's no refunds. We'll share all that information, but we just wanted to get, give you a sense of the dates mm-hmm. so you can start planning as you have vacations, planning time off. And just see it all. So go to the website. That is everydaydriver.com slash adventures, as Todd said. Mm-hmm. And just plan it. Come on all three. Well, it would be cool. But, but I, should, I should give you the sense of the vibe of these three trips. All three are very, very fun. The Germany and Belgium ring and spa trip is a driving-focused, track-focused trip, which is really cool. People have brought spouses and significant others, people that don't drive. But that's a hard trip for significant others because you're going to be at the track or sitting in a track car. That's what you're doing. But it's incredibly fun, and you get to come away saying you actually drove the ring and spa. The Utah Adventure is a fantastic trip for I just want to get away. Just just for the weekend, real quick, I'm going to hang out with my car buddies. We get a lot of that. We get people that bring their spouses on that one too, but that's also just kind of like a quick get away trip. The September trip in the Rocky Mountains is going to be very spouse friendly, really nice hotels. Everything's very high end. It's going to be more expensive than the Utah trip, but not nearly as expensive as pilgrimage. We're trying to keep everything somewhat affordable. But if you wanted to have a getaway with that special person that relates to cars, but it's not like we're driving, man, that'll be the September trip. Yeah. which will be really fun. We're excited about all three. You're going to have a slightly different vibe to each of them. We're obviously, Paul and I will be there for all three, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. but hopefully many yeah. of you will as well. Kind of interesting. I ran across a quick piece of news about our one of our favorite tracks, the Nürburgring. Okay. And they are currently undergoing a comprehensive construction project in almost a, the 100-year history of the ring. Mm. New infrastructure is being built around the entire track. So they are laying fiber optic and power cables for off-grid systems for power supplies and LED panels for digital warning signals and special HD cameras all the way around the track. Huh, interesting. And this is happening over the next two years, but they've already started digging trenches all the way around the track, wow. and they're on step one. So this is going to be a, an upgrade, essentially, hmm. to this track, and it's scheduled to be in operation in 2025 when it's finally done for all of the fiber optic, all Very the LED cool. panels, really to 
get on top of dangerous situations and they term it unscheduled events on the track. <laughs> well, you know, the flip so side of delicate. this is going to be, there's going to be a website where we can go and check ring cameras and you could walk to all of the little I'm guessing that will check be part of this. I'm sure. So Absolutely, it'll yeah. give people a, a better view of everything yep. that's going on. There will be no more guessing, but it's going to upgrade the track significantly. So that's kind of exciting. Pretty cool. When you remember that car that fascinates you, or you hear us debate a particular vehicle right here on the podcast, you need a way to search for it. Our friends at Autotempest.com will help you find your next car, wherever it is, wherever it's hiding, local, nationwide, big listings, or little ones. And you're probably the person your friends and everyone in your family consults with for their car buying decisions. Even with sponsorships like this one, the folks at Autotempest rely on word of mouth. So let your friends know this is your secret weapon. Autotempest.com slash everyday links you to nationwide listings from Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, so it enables you to search beyond the limited distances those sites support. So when you're doing your drive homework, you're chasing your next family car, or you're just having that fear of missing out, go to Autotempest.com slash everyday so they know we sent you. Autotempest. All the cars. One search. For our topic Tuesday, Eddie M. writes to us asking about the term hallowed ground. Hmm. In the automotive world, whether it be written or spoken, specific terms are thrown around. <laughs> Drives on rails, oh, bespoke, stop. hallowed ground, just to <laughs> na- name a few. Sure, yeah. So we hear that all the time, car is being held on hallowed ground, or it's sacred, like mm-hmm. the 911's mm-hmm. classic rear engine, or Miata's classic traditional sports car formula. Yep. With these preconceptions on hold, these are things that are just not allowed to be changed. Mm. From a manufacturing perspective, we're always looking for change or the next big thing. Sure. So is the obligation, Eddie writes, of the manufacturer to please the need of the hallowed ground that is held by the public? Where are the confines mm. of hallowed ground? Are, are they held too far, too far beginning to impede on the creativity and ingenuity of the manufacturer, the car's creator? Mm. This is an interesting question. And uh, clearly we're going to solve it in the next 10 minutes, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go straight to the jugular on this and I'm going to say the following and some of you are going to agree with me and some of you are going to sharpen your pitchforks and then light said pitchforks. <laughs> but uh, the 911 definitely holds Porsche ransom and I would almost argue holds Porsche back. Now, I am fully aware that the 911 does more with less power and has unbelievable numbers of variants and every time they do one, it's slightly better than the one they've done before. I'm not denying that. And mm-hmm. that shows, if anything, to me, that the real rocket scientists of the world are somehow working at Porsche on the 911 project. It shouldn't be as good as it is. And it is brilliant. I'm not denying that. But every car has to look somewhat like the 911. Mm-hmm. Witness the mm-hmm. Cayenne and the Panamera. Mm-hmm. What if Porsche just designed a four-door? What if they just, just design it? Just make it look cool. I don't care what the 911 looks like. Make it look cool. Sure. What if the Cayenne were a design, had nothing to do with the 911? What if the, the Cayman, now with the GT4S it could be argued, but what if the Cayman were allowed to be a better car than the 911? I mean, it, I mean, it kind of now is. It, in, it can in be argued, yes. At least the GT4 RS. Yes, yeah. of course, they're doing the new GT3 RS, which, of course, is still, again, better than the Cayman. <laughs> Rewind back to the 911 thing. I mean, this is the thing we talked about in our 50 Years of 911 movie that they were going to kill the 911 and replace it with your car, the 928. Yeah. And the 911 Faithful, and this is when Porsche was only, let's be honest, a niche sports car manufacturer. The 911 Faithful brought out the pitchforks, flaming pitchforks. They were only 28 years old as a company. That's it. Crazy how all of those folks essentially rioted, for lack of a better way to put it. I'm sure it was a very nice German riot, but it was a riot. (laughs) Right. Okay? And so the actual, at the time, the American CEO of Porsche said, we're continuing the 911 indefinitely, 
And so the 928 doesn't survive long term. The 944 does. The whole move to front engine cars essentially dies for a while at Porsche. I and wish, the 911 goes on. You're right. I wish the transaxle era had continued on. Imagine I wish what those cars would be like now. 928s and 944s. And Even if they'd kept the 911 and then developed mm-hmm. the trans, transaxle, that whole front engine rear drive Porsche idea long before the Panamera shows up. What if they'd just constantly been progressing on that world? Where would Porsche be? Now, those cars, look at the 928, <clears throat> look at the 944, look nothing like the 911. That's true. And the uh, yeah. minute that the 911 became the halo car, of everything has to look like that, which I think Porsche's made some good-looking cars, but what could they have been? We are aware that the 2017 911 RSR was mid-engined, and subsequent RSR cars have been. Mm-hmm. And this was considered, this is on the Porsche website, this was considered by Porsche to ensure the car remained competitive in the GTLM racing class. Mm-hmm. They had to make it mid-engine so the car would remain competitive. Even though it is very sure. competitive sure, in yeah. rear-engine form, they swapped the locations of the engine and the transmission. They didn't s- turn it around 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't work. They just swapped locations and then made it work, which meant there was now space in the back for the larger rear diffuser permitted by the regulations. Mm-hmm. And Manti Racing achieved a double victory in the GTE Pro class at the 2018 Le Mans race. The car was mid-engine. It's a 911. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mind that that 911 shape would be mid-engine. It was sure. hard to wrap my head around it when that car came out. I thought, mm. this is heresy. Mm. And then they went ahead and won with it. <laughs> but then <laughs> still winning. Yeah. by doing it, they actually admitted to the world that because it was a mid-engine car, yeah, we yeah. had more space for the rear diffuser, more downforce. The car won its class. Yeah, interesting. All right. I, I like that they've at least played with it mm-hmm. and proven that that is the winning formula. That is interesting. By, by moving the engine. I've got a couple others to think of, and that is Ford. Okay. Ford is trapped by the Mustang and the F-150. They can never not make an F-150, which is why it's now the Lightning. But remember the pitchforks when they were going to make an aluminum F-150 or an F-150 that didn't have a V8? You've got to be kidding. Yeah, But true. the Mustang, now let, let's compare and contrast. The F-150 just is busy being spit out of the factory about every 60 seconds and just printing money for Ford in every possible variant. Yeah. So they're tied to that. Maybe not to their detriment, but they're tied to that car. Meanwhile, the Mustang, you say Ford, you hear Mustang. Mm -hmm. Okay? They can never stop making it. But it's not a volume seller. No. It's not a huge throwdown car for, oh, the new Mustang, that's going to be our big victory. If not, this isn't the Camry it's not like one of the best-selling cars out there. Mm-mm. The Mustang is a niche car, but yet you say Ford, you hear Mustang. True. Which is fascinating. So they can't stop making it, but the cost to make a new Mustang is horrifying to Ford versus the F-150, which just prints money in every variant that they make. The, the F-150 makes more money than Ford. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of Ford or the <laughs> F-150. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. But you're right. In regards to the Mustang, on Ford's performance website, they have published four photos of a mid-engine Mustang that were shot on May 2, 1966 in the Ford International Design Studio in Dearborn. And the text that accompanies the mm-hmm. photos indicates that this car was not the basis for the Mach 2. It, that was based on a shortened version of the 67 Mustang convertible floor, floor pan. But nevertheless... They're still trying to figure out 
why did this mid-engine Mustang concept appear in the design studio for as brief as it is? And Mm. the historians have talked to everybody in Ford's engineering and design history, and nobody can put their finger on it. Interesting. But what if the Mustang had started out as a mid-engine car? Mm. Many people are surprised to discover the Corvette was conceived as a mid-engine car, and there's at least 14 or 15 concepts developed even as the first couple of generations were built and sold. Yes, Mid-engine concepts continue to appear, and we get comments on the website like, well, it's not a real Corvette because it's mid-engine. No, it's more real and more original than any of the other prior seven generations. Watch watch our American original film where we talk about this, the fact that they were working on mid-engines pretty much from day one of the Corvette program, as Paul said. The other thing I think is funny is the other reason that the C8 Corvette is not acceptable is because it's automatic. We're completely forgetting about the fact that the first generation of the Corvette was a six-cylinder, not an eight, and only available in an automatic for its first year or so. So it started as an automatic yes. non-V8. Yes. But now we're back to automatic, and how dare you? Because Corvettes have never been auto. Hang on. Hang on just a second. Yeah. That, that, they have been. But this, but this is the problem. Things get so embedded. Back to Eddie's question here. They get so embedded in this hallowed ground. It could only be one way that we even lose sight of the actual history. But now, having lived with the C8 Corvette in... Photos and videos and and everybody's probably seen one. If you haven't been near one or driven one quite yet, you've probably seen one at this point. They will continue to proliferate. Yep. They are now embedded just by virtue of time. Sure, sure. We're kind of used to it now. And that's Mm -hmm. what all new car designs, as it comes out, not the beaver teeth, but still, as the design comes out and you live with it for a while and you see it around, you see it in the light and you see it next to things you recognize and can relate to. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that doesn't look quite so bad to me now. Sure. Because sure. we have an initial reaction when we see the new concept car, the new mm-hmm. production, here's the photos, here it is, and we go, or wow. <laughs> and then later on, our perceptions completely change. Yeah, yeah. But in the case of the Mustang and the Corvette, two cars that cannot be changed. <laughs> You're right. And yet the Corvette changed completely, and now it's as Corvette as any of the others, and yet it doesn't match any of the others. Mm, And I see that coming for the Mustang, because I do feel like as good as the seventh generation, my hopes are high, as incredibly embedded in the racing programs that Ford has announced, and I believe the car is going to be spectacular. The the eighth generation, Mm. what does Ford do? We're talking 10, 15 years from now. Sure, sure, sure. What does Ford do? Because you're right. The Mustang cannot die. It cannot go away. And they have introduced the Mach-E to embed in consumers' minds Isn't that, that interesting Mustangs too? can be more than just the front engine rear drive car. Yep. Now, yep. in terms of architecture uh-huh. and EVs, many people have begrudgingly accepted the Mach-E. Well, I guess I'll accept it because the real Mustang is still alongside yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. What if that one becomes an EV? Ooh. Yeah. Are, are we okay with that? Yeah. Ford is blowing up all the prior mis- you know preconceptions or you're right or you're right preconceived notions that we have as far as a car so what will destroying that legacy do to further the development of the automobile do we have to destroy legacies mm. to push further into the future i kind of think we do mm. because you know an ev version of a miata is coming and that yeah. will tear down the monument that car enthusiasts and racers worship yeah yeah and everybody right. will Okay, wow, EV Miata, mm-hmm. and it, it might be good. It might be terrible. Yeah, yeah. But it can't eventually be terrible. It has to get good you because of so. what the monument that Miatas stand for, how good they are. They You're right. They are the answer to everything. 
You're right. It's a major thing. And I, I also think that this made me think about another thing, Eddie, and that is I think it takes a decade or two for a car brand to change its perception in the mind of the consumer. Like a couple of decades. I'll give you an example. BMW was the ultimate driving machine in the 90s and early 2000s, and then they left that that brand terminology, and they went to like mobility for the future. I forget what, I, literally, the next one was so bad, I don't even remember the second tagline after that. <laughs> With hands-free driving being the ultimate riding you know, machine. But that was because BMW was leaving a focus on being the ultimate driving machine and trying to sell volume. And they have spent a decade or two becoming a volume-selling luxury car. That's what they're focused on mm-hmm. as a company. Sure. Now, we as enthusiasts still want them to be ultimate driving machine. They've left that behind. Now, they're starting to bring that tagline back, but we're two decades from the cars that coined that, and we're a very different feel in company and styling. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happens is you get CEOs jumping around companies, you get designers jumping around companies. Unless they stay at a company for 10 years or more, it's really hard to turn the ship the ship is still yeah. going in that direction. Yeah. The guys that stay a long time, you can see, kind of like politics, you can see that they're slowly affecting the turn of the ship, if you will. Sure. But that means they typically, BMW is another great example, they typically leave what they used to be behind. BMWs line up with the few exceptions that are typically M cars, probably with a CSL on the back. True. BMW is not the, you want a great driving car, run over to BMW. That used to be like anything in the lineup. Just pick one. That's just true. throw a dart from the parking lot. <laughs> That'll be a great driving BMW. Exactly. Some of them are, but some of them are just car with a round badge on them. Yeah. And that's because they've shifted themselves toward let's do volume. Now let's take Toyota. Early 2000s, there was no fun Toyota being sold. Just wasn't. We were the land of the Prius and the Camry, and they worked, and they were great, and they were reliable, and it's fun, but you aren't buying one to drive it for fun. You're driving it because you need to get places. And then Akio Toyota comes on, and he's concerned with his racing background for cars to be fun, and watch how it's taken like 15 years. But now we can list fun cars Mm -hmm. in the Toyota Mm -hmm. lineup, and we're talking about the Prius as looking decent, and we're wondering if it's fun to drive. But it's taken a while. True, true. And despite their collaborations for the GR86 and the Supra, mm-hmm. I feel like both those cars are as much Toyota DNA in them as any Toyota in the past. They are, are, they are arguably the most fun car that their collaborator has ever made. Very true. But even though, all right, the Supra has a BMW engine. Yes. I still very much feel Toyota thinking when driving it. Certainly in the manual, yes. In the GR86, I feel more Toyota in that than I do Subaru DNA. Mm, interesting. It's a Subaru engine. Subaru, Subaru lots of things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Fuji Heavy Industries. It's yeah, more yeah. Subaru than Toyota. I still feel like this is Toyota's thinking. This is Toyota mm-hmm. DNA and development. So to preserve hallowed ground, we're going to see more of that collaborations. Probably. Yeah, probably. But any car company that rests on its laurels and just keeps doing the same thing and tries to make sales... They're going to be left behind. Every car yeah, company is doing yeah. this. The Puro saying is now as Ferrari as Ferrari can be. <laughs> and it's not even really out at this point. Yeah. You can't get one. But, but if you if you bring a half million dollars, we'll have a conversation. Sure. Yeah, uh-huh. But money aside. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's got the screaming V12. All right. Sweet. I guess it's Ferrari flavored. It's an SUV. It's, yeah, it's a yeah, shoe. Yeah. It's a 
It's not a two-door sports car from Ferrari. But this is the struggle that every car maker has, and that is, and I'll, I'll use the 911 real quick. If you want to make the 911 what it's not, we'd like it to be, I'm just going to go there. You would like it to be front-engined, and we'd like it to be longer. I realize it's the Panamera, but my point is you <laughs> always order. you always lose the people. The, the C8's a better example. Sorry, I'll go C8 first. The C8's a better example because by the C8 becoming what it is now mid-engine and crazy exotic looking, you brought a bunch of new people to the brand. Wait, 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 wait. Corvette? Yeah, That's a Corvette. I'd never, I want one now. But all of the True. purists are going, that's not a Corvette. Where's the V8 out front? Where's How many the main cars are purists buying? Now, I can argue both sides of the Corvette equation. True. Strongly. The C7 was great. The C6 was there, There's some great, great cars in that lineup. Yeah, yeah. And they are different than the C8. I would have liked them to say it again. I would have liked them to have split the lineup and had the big uh, mid-engine C8 up top and something like a C7 continuing below it. But that hasn't happened. But this is every automaker because cars are so difficult to, to make and get funded and get actually in your showroom near you <laughs> see so how expensive. sorry that is right now that you have to bring in new buyers you can't just have the guy that loved it when he was 30 and now he's 80 well guess what eventually you're going to lose that buyer you have to get the new buyer and sure. the new buyer has different tastes can you balance both that's the constant struggle that's going on but on the other hand any 911 that is a pure ev loses all the goodness that the the magic or the to the detriment of the car, the flat six drives, is gone. I see what that, you're saying. Wait, that's gone. So that's that's not a 911. That's just car in the shape of a 911. On the other hand, maybe it brings a whole bunch of new buyers, sure, and new customers to the Porsche brand by having that car. Maybe they'll never build any. Maybe it'll just be a hybrid. But yeah. because of the nature that you're talking about here, yeah, yeah. that Eddie, they can't ever get away from that so they have to keep making and improving it to the point is does moore's law apply to cars mm. what is the equivalent the automotive equivalent mm. of that where interesting it, we're plateauing and we can't improve it unless drastic changes happen the corvette is as brilliant as it, it's ever been sure it's the yeah, best phenomenal. corvette that's ever been built it's incredible there's a lot to love about the prior seven generations, though. Yeah, for sure. But then all these older customers, well, that's not a 911. It's not the true to its heritage. Sure, sure. On the other hand, what's what's the delta between we lost a whole bunch of mm-hmm. older customers or purists, yeah, doesn't yeah. matter their age, but we gained a whole bunch of new customers over here. Did we, uh, hopefully you Did gained we more, offset? so, yeah, so yeah, you yeah. made more money. But You'd hope so. With the 911, maybe that's a car that can never be touched. But yet Porsche did it themselves with a race car, and they admitted it. We had to do it to stay competitive. (laughs) You're right. I mean, these big icon cars, those are the cars that we, you and I, Paul, all of you listening, and definitely people with the internet and and an ability to to be angry with their keyboard, would say never, ever change. But how many of us, that whole collective group I've just listed, are actually buying these cars we're raging about? That's the other part of it. Hard to say, right? It's hard very hard to say. to say. And I th- and this is one of the things that you've brought up brilliantly a few times, Paul, and that is I would like to see as car companies progress, them carving out certain models that are for people that love to drive and love the history of what that brand used to be. Mm-hmm. BMW, Toyota, Porsche, whoever. The brand has always had a car like this. Mazda's Miata. It stays like a Miata while the rest of the Mazda brand becomes, I don't even know the end of that sentence, but you follow what I mean. I would love to see manufacturers think that way because as transportation keeps splintering into what we think is good transportation. Canoe. 
that's all I've ever wanted. Those of us that really love analog driving are going to be only looking backwards and buying older cars or being the people standing in line with our hand raised because that automaker brought out a car like we want. But we're a small group. For the large car companies, I still stand on this. The ones that build pickup trucks, whether they're gas or electric, they make trucks. Uh Then they make some sort of people-enclosed thing, whether it's a tall car or Mm. a small SUV. Or a a canoe. Or a canoe. (laughs) It's not future design, by the way. They make some sort of people mover. Again, gas or electric, doesn't matter. They sell those. And then the purest car over here. I Mm -hmm. could see easily see Volkswagen doing that. Interesting. We've got some trucks. We've got, oh, they've got the buzz. The buzz. Mm. That's coming. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah. People will like that and buy that. But then we still have the purest car, the the GTI. Mm. Sure. Yeah, let's keep building that. Mm. We've got all the Atlases and the trucks and the SUVs and all the SUVs that start with the letter T. (laughs) Those can go live over there. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Ford, GM, the big car companies, Toyota. What a product portfolio, but yet they still haven't stopped paying attention to the enthusiasts because even though those cars don't sell in volume, it drives perception for the rest of the cars that it does. do. It does. And there's, so there's it's a, worth it. There's a brand digging in that happens when you keep those cars around for Absolutely. sure. Yeah. Chris is writing in from San Diego with a car debate that has a rather provocative title for this podcast, <laughs> and it's about selling his 911. Wow. Well, Chris, thank you for writing our podcast keeps him company when he's commuting and cooking and doing chores. Really appreciate it. For some quick background, he is in his early 30s, no kids, maybe in the next year or two. He lives in San Diego. He's also a relatively new car enthusiast, just within the past four years. That's interesting. I love that. That's cool. Welcome. He's owned an 06 Honda Civic, a 2015 BMW M235i convertible, 2012 Lexus IS350C, and now this 2009 911 Carrera IV Cabriolet. Interesting. Okay. All right. There's some good cars on that list. You know, that M235 is cool. He said the Lexus IS he only had for six months because it was just too boring. But even the 06 Honda Civic is intriguing. But this is what's interesting is he said all the last three cars were all owned within the last three years. And as a new car enthusiast, he feels like he's coming in when all the cars he should be driving are about to end. Now, I'm going to stop right there real quick, Chris, and just say breathe breathe. It's okay. All right. <laughs> I agree. Not only are we roughly 10 years or so from when these parent mandates are going to happen about no internal combustion engine cars being sold anymore. We've had many conversations on here about different ways we think companies are going to walk that back or, or politics is going to walk that back. But whether that happens, let's just say that's a hard and fast rule. That means we've got another 10 years of lots of cars being sold. And it also means that starting in 2036, those uh, internal combustion engine cars are still on the road. They're still here, okay? You may not be selling any new ones. This is even if this mandate is, is ironclad. You may not be selling any new ones, but it's not like the internal combustion engine cars are now like wiped out. There's not a light switch happening. So totally. you have some time. It's totally. okay. Well, GM just released the news that they're investing in a brand new engine plant to build V8s. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Porsche is making alternative gasoline. Yeah, that might become a thing. That might Who knows? Yeah, for completely sure. save the internal combustion engine. So in no way do I think ICE engines are going away anytime soon. Think about, as a side note, cars from the 20s. There's sure. not a lot of them left. Sure, yeah, yeah. But the, the grand cars, yeah, the Packards yeah, yeah. and the Cadillacs and the Duesenbergs, 
those cars are 100 years old. Good point. That makes a 30 or 40 year old car seem like not that old anymore. <laughs> our, our, our old cars of the past are practically modern. They are. That's pretty funny. I like it. Cars last a long time. Yeah, not all yeah, cars. Yeah. Depends on how they're built. But if you take care of them, mm-hmm. generally speaking, cars last. So a 10-year-old car is not a super old car anymore. Not at all. 20 years is sort of, okay, yeah, get by with it. But as we continue to build more cars, manufacturing techniques and processes continue to get better, Modern cars with gas engines are going to last another 30, 40, or 50 years Fair point. from now. Fair point, yeah. So I'm with you. Nothing to worry about. Now, he is chasing a more raw driver-connected experience because he feels like he's missing out. That's because his 911, which he loves. He bought it last summer. He said it was finally the one he wanted. It was racing green over a tan combo. It popped up. He said, I have to get it. It's exactly the one I wanted. It's PDK. And he really wanted manual. And so that's made him start thinking, hmm, what do I do? I mean, you've got a great car. Yeah. You do. Absolutely, it's like yeah. the recipe for San Diego. Live in San Diego? Yep. Oh, you've got a Carrera Cabriolet. Sweet. Yes. Let's put the top down again today. I know it's January, <laughs> but we can still put the top down this exactly. week. This is kind of where we are. Well, his wife will not drive a manual car. Mm. This is probably part of his thinking. She's got a 2013 Corolla that she's had since before they met. She is 100% a car is an appliance person. You know what? That's okay. That happens. And I like that you got the PDK because you're probably thinking about it and you wanted her to drive the car maybe and have some fun together. But he's got that manual itch. Mm. Now he's got lingering regret over getting the PDK despite loving it and getting his dream color combo. Mm. While he's been dailying it with no problems, the compromises are obvious. So he feels like he's at a crossroads. Does he keep it and buy another sports car with a manual transmission? <laughs> Practicality be damned. <laughs> I have a 911. I'm going to get something less practical Ooh. than 911, and off I go. You're saying 911s are practical, Chris. That's good news. Well, they like are argued, kind of. but I will say that the Cabriolet, we have, yeah, moving on. Yeah, okay. Second option is, does he sell the 911 and then go for a two-car solution? Okay. He doesn't have a long commute, but it is in stop-and-go freeway traffic. Yes, San Diego can have bad traffic, but he only goes in two to three days a week. Okay. Now, his budget is about fifty dollars to $60,000, and he's his own bad influence. <laughs> so clearly, you don't need me to push you off the cliff. Don't need us, but apparently, we're all there together. He's in yeah. a good financial place. It's just a matter of having self-restraint. Mm. And he started looking at 987.2 Boxsters before stepping up to the 911. So what you're saying is there's scope creep. You're saying, we'll start <laughs> oh, here, and we'll buy twice as much as we need. Got it. Okay. Now, for the practical car, he loves the Julia Quadrifoglio. 2020 and newer with an extended warranty. You should love that car. That is worth loving. It's awesome. It seems emotional, but illogical. Sure. Okay. And those are right about 50 grand. Yeah. 50 to 55, depending on what one you want. He says a more sensible choice would be a certified pre-owned M340i. I'm not sure that's that much more sensible, honestly. Yeah. I, sensible. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> Did you buy I, the car? Then you didn't get a deal. But see, personal experience may vary, but I personally would never buy a BMW or an Alpha and think one was more reliable for sure than the other. I think they It'd are an be equivalent dice roll. I really think they're an equivalent dice roll. Yeah. Either one of them used. Chris even suggests a more sensible choice like the Integra Type S when it comes out. But then if he's going to two cars, the daily doesn't need to be a manual. Yeah, I see it. He also admits to having brand blindness and biases and has never really looked at American or Korean cars, despite being interested in an Alpha, something like a Hyundai Elantra N, 
gives him pause. Interesting. Okay. He's also not a CUV SUV truck person, and he is very lukewarm on hatches and wagons. Okay. For the fun car, he's wanted an AP2 Honda S2000 for years, but he always waffles. Hmm. Especially now that values have skyrocketed. He does mention the cheaper alternative would be a second or third generation Miata. And if he couldn't live without a Porsche, I I hear you there. (laughs) Get you. Speaking my language. Yep. Got it. Okay. The 987.2 that came in our Boxster S seems like a great compliment. He also mentions an Elise, Todd. I see that. But prices have shot up. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's a little worried about available availability of mechanics around there, around San Diego. There's probably more than around Park City. Yeah, probably. And the reality is underneath there is a Toyota Corolla engine. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not. It's, the engine part is the least of your worries. Engine and transmission is fairly straightforward. It's body panels that start to get tough. You want to get in a wreck true, in that car, that's true. where it's hard. But as far as like getting it maintained, you want to take it for somebody to get oil changed, they got to take off the underguards. I get it. But the engine's in the middle. That's weird. But otherwise, <laughs> it's a Corolla engine. I'd like my Corolla service, <laughs> okay? True. It's not that hard, but that's I take true. your point. What are prices going for? Are they still 40 You better bring 45 to want the lease. Seriously. That's really where you need to be. Yeah, Ish. for sure. You can get deals, but that they, they've certainly jumped the better part of ten grand from what I bought, which is insane. That's insane. Well, Chris is all over the place. Maybe he needs to just stop and be happy with the car that he's got. Why would you do that? You're listening to this podcast. I Sorry. Know. Sorry, I jumped ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but he still feels time pressure to get internal combustion engine cars now and there's so many cars out there that he wants to experience good news like we've established cars are going to last and the good ones taken care of by their owners Mm -hmm. are going to last 10 20 30 more years Mm -hmm. they're still going to be around just like that ap2 honda s2000 that you've wanted for years well yeah prices have skyrocketed but guess what they're still in good shape. They're still out there. They yeah. still run. Yeah. There's still a lot of parts availability. There's lots of tuning availability. Yeah, true. There's plenty of them. True. I get it. Plenty is depends on the price. Relative, but I take your point, yeah. But still, yeah, yeah. you can find one. All right. I've got a lot of suggestions here for you, Chris. And I do love all your choices. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like buying a manual transmission car still wouldn't be driven as frequently as an automatic because of your nature, the type of driving you do. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, for sure. Like you discovered, you wanted an Integra Type S, but now you're in a front-wheel drive car and it's going to be a manual transmission. Mm-hmm. So what did we solve? We just gave you four doors. Sure, yeah, yeah. I don't think we really solved anything. I appreciate that you've enjoyed the 911. Okay. And I do think if you wanted to get out of it, there there are great two-car options here. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you to stick with the 911 because by virtue of the fact that you've composed an email means you're already <laughs> divorced from the car. You're already going, so what is next? Yeah, I see it. So I don't think any convincing that I do would make you stay in the 911. Mm, interesting. Which is okay. okay. You've yeah. had one, you've experienced it. And guess what? There will be more. You can go back to one in the future if you want another one. Sure, yeah. I also question your career for choice, but you know, because you're in San Diego, but still. <laughs> Side note. I think I think it really was the right era of nine eleven in the right color. It's like it's a career for the PDK. Totally. I'll get that. Totally. Let's get that. But you know, maybe the, but I agree. the car just popped up and Un- there was unnecessary and, okay, things but, going on there for sure. Yeah. Now, just gonna put this out there. Toyota currently builds a two car solution that is for sale. You can go buy them new at your dealership. Okay. Where are you going? Jerry eighty six and Supra. I mean, automatic and a <laughs> manual. I mean, they, they offer a two car solution. <laughs> you still end up with two not that uh, not that utilitarian vehicles, Here, but boy, they're fun and different. They that are. is good. That's right. You could do automatic versions of sports cars. Sure, you know yeah. how we've talked about. You know, yeah, get yeah. the automatic, but you already have that. 
And then you said you've wanted an S2000 for years. That's that little sentence uh-huh. that pops out when everybody says, I've wanted an S2000 for years, but now let me go shop everything else. Now I'll go somewhere else. You wanted an S2000 for years. Mm-hmm. Does it sound weird hearing us say it back to you? Yeah. You've wanted an S2000. You want to go car shopping. Now's the time. And they're not getting cheaper. No, they're they, not. They're not. And here's the thing. Can you get an AP1? I mean, I know you want an AP2, and I understand the changes, but the AP1s are still great. They're still a lot of fun. Yeah. How much are we talking? Are you willing to spend twenty grand of that $60,000 budget? Just note that I ignored the 50 number. I just went straight for the 60000 Well, but also, here's the other thing. The S2000, you're parking your money. Absolutely. I think if he bought one, let's just say he bought one for twenty five, and you had it for a year, and you decided, okay, I've had this experience. That's enough for me. You probably are going to sell it for twenty five. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got San Diego miles on it. How many miles are you going to put? Seriously, San how many Diego miles, miles are you going to put on it in a year <laughs> if it's not even his primary car? So, what sort of miles are on this car? Well, they're San Diego miles. Oh, okay. Let's talk. How come you didn't lead with that? So, twenty twenty five which leaves you about $40,000 for the fun commuter. Yeah. I thought about 987 Boxsters. You were already shopping them with a PDK, but then you're swapping a more expensive PDK for a less expensive PDK. Sure, I see where you went. And if you're not feeling it, you're Mm -hmm. not feeling it. Yeah. Scrolling back up to the middle of your email where you did say you've never driven a car with a V8. I have many things to say on all this, yes. Never driven a car. I want an S2000, Uh and I've never driven a car with a V8. Yeah. Boy, do I have your solution. Do you? Take your money, sell your 911, get that S2000, and go get an E90 BMW M3 with the DCT. Oh, no, that is good. You're right. V8, baby. You're right. That's excellent. I was initially thinking Corvette Mustang, but then you said you're not attracted to American cars, and I thought, hello, BMW E90 M3 V8. Can you find one for 40 grand? Sure you can. Oh, well below, yeah. And we've spent all your money. And you've gotten two great cars, and now you're rocking an M3 and yeah. an S2000. Yeah. What are you going to choose? Because the weather's always great. You've done, you've done very well there, Paul. Chris, that is a very compelling two-car garage. I want to I head down the same path, and that is I do think the two-car solution is for you. I wound it somewhere different than Paul, but I want to unpack a couple of the things you mentioned. First off, that S2000. I, I have to agree with what Paul's saying here. <laughs> Let's go get one. When people say, I've always wanted A, and it is within <laughs> the—here's the thing. It, look, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 Todd, have always wanted a Pagani Waira. But there's, I can't afford a Pagani wire. There's if, that. If, if this is the sentence, okay, I've always wanted to have and- something I can't begin to possibly afford in my lifetime. Sure. Don't go get that. Sure. But if I say, I've always wanted to have a Miata and I've got 20 grand to spend, you know what I ought to get? A Miata. Okay? So if, if you've always wanted one, if that's a halo car for you and you, and you find yourself kind of as a new car enthusiast, I've always wanted one of those. Yeah. And you're, in, you're new to the experience. Why not go get one and try it? You had the Lexus that you bought for six months. Let's just say, and look, I'll give you the downside right away. The S2000 is older. They are uh, getting harder to maintain because they're harder to p- find parts for. And because of the way the engine works, which is brilliant at seven to 9,000 RPM, it's got kind of a bogged down feel right off of idle. You're not sure. going to want to commute in that car sure. because it's designed to be revved to the moon, which is super fun. Yes, yes. It also has a driving position that's not the best. It's good, but it's not amazing. Fair, okay? Fair. I'm giving you the downsides of an S2000. 
I still think you should go get one because I still think if you have it for six months or a year, you get your money back out of it. Why not try it? That's true. You are parking your money on, on the good ones. Yes. Not the ratty get ones. Get a decent one. Don't get the cheapest yeah. one. No, don't do that. Yeah. Get, get yeah. a middle ground one and plan to put, I'm just going to put it right out there, Chris, plan to put six to 8,000 miles on it this year and plan to sell it in a year. Sure. That's I've always wanted one. I just try and so I have no issue with that. I do think that a Boxster 987 in manual would be a fantastic choice for your second fun car. I still think the S2000 is worth worthwhile try. For San Diego miles. But because yeah, but because you've had the 911 awesome. and you've enjoyed it, why not have the more fun car be a dedicated two-seat convertible manual, which the S2000 does, but so does the Boxster. And then I got kind of stuck on that same thing you did, Paul, and that is never had a V8. Like never had a V8 car, never driven one, never had one. And you said what? you really like the Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio, which is most of your budget and not a V8. You uh-huh. also said you tend to have blindness for certain cars and brands. So go get S2000, sure. Go get 987 Boxster, sure. But I've got one for you. V8, the definitive V8, the Chevrolet LS motor oh. <laughs> in a Chevy SS automatic. Oh, my gosh. Those are 30 to 40 grand. That would be the so you yeah, get that two thirds of his budget. Here's the thing that has handling kind of similar to the really greatness that we love about the Julia Quadrifoglio. It's got power similar to the Julia Quadrifoglio, but it's big V8. It's big rumbling American Chevy V8. It's a totally different experience than you've ever had. Well, that's that car is surprisingly great dynamically. It has tons of American space. You can be like, yeah, America, <laughs> American space. Seriously. So that is good. <laughs> that would be a great alternative to that Julia. I think if you had an SS, let's say SS and S2000 for a year, I think you would come out of that year and be like, you know what I really want I think you'd know, Chris. You'd be I here are the things I want in my next car. But that's my two car garage for you. Chris, you've got some thinking to do, but what I like, even though we're suggesting some admittedly older cars at this point, mm-hmm. yes, there is that to take into consideration. The E ninety that I suggested, even an SS, you know, that's yeah. a newer car, yeah. but admittedly they're older. But that's because they aren't really being built right now by other manufacturers. True. The, the big, big four-door rear-wheel drive V8. Pretty V8 much it's Charger or nothing. <laughs> right. Which, yeah. You know, it's a bop phase as well, I suppose, yeah. at this point. So I get that they're a little bit older, and you'll, you'll have to just wrap your head around that. But by buying newer and certainly either lower miles or very well-maintained miles will pretty much solve that, and you don't have to keep these cars forever. And the cars in his garage now are older, so I think it's all right. I think the E90 is probably at the, well, I can't say it's at the bottom of its of its uh, cycle just because... Because uh, everything jumped the last two it's years? Everything yeah. jumped, uh-huh. but still, as in the minds of enthusiasts, it's old news, but it's still a great car to drive. It's a great car to drive, yeah. And the SS is sort of invisible to most enthusiasts. It's invisible. It is, oh, you got, why'd you get a Malibu? I did not get a Malibu. <laughs> get in. This is not a Malibu. Have you heard what my Malibu sounds like? Yeah. Thank you guys, as always, for great questions. We really appreciate it. I'm going to start with one that's not even a question. It's just an observation, but I love these when they come across. Kevin on Facebook said, Just wanted to let you know that winter tires on my Corvette has been the most fun I've ever had commuting. Aren't winter tires great? They are great. I mean, you and I have gone on and on, it could be argued, too much about our GR86. Yeah. But I have to say that with winter tires on that car, 
and it is dumping snow outside. I drive around slowly with a stupid little kid's grin on my face. Yeah. It is so much fun. Like creeping down my driveway or going through a neighborhood down a hill and looking at all the people in the big SUVs white knuckling on the steering wheel because they're terrified. And I'm like, winter tires in a lightweight sports car. It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I think you're right. Anthony Zerg says there's one simple act that defines or identifies you as a car person. It's how careful you take the pump nozzle out of your car when you're done filling up <laughs> i see it i, I could be spotted yep. from a mile away i'm carefully rotating 180 degrees so the sniffle drips back you, down the you nozzle. have a little dance you do at the I, pump i've seen I'm it yeah careful so yes i would be identified that that's good that's that's a great observation dan b says with the recent price cuts to teslas and now federal new federal tax rebates available what are our top choices for evs hmm. there's we haven't driven all of them that are in the market at this point and the ones that i think we would suggest are the e-tron gt and the Taycan. we really like those they're very good yeah they're expensive they're not for everybody and they don't I, have great range yeah i say teslas <laughs> get a tesla teslas are good you know what I, I really like the kia and hyundai offerings right now the ev6 the uh the gv60 and the ionic are excellent they're great those are good they're great it's uh, just range. You know the the mustang mach e is very good what is your True. range what True. is your need there are options out there that are good and you know what we've said this one before and i'm gonna say it again chevy bolt is excellent. Yeah, yeah. Need a little commuter. A you can get a lot for your money there, and that is worthwhile. I'm going to issue a correction real quick. Mr. McGillicuddy has called me out, and he's right to do so. He said, I've mentioned the first-gen IS300 Sport Cross, that is the wagon version of the Lexus IS300 first-gen, as coming with a manual. And he said, no, they do not. And I've realized my error. And my error is because when we've had a couple of podcasts of late, and I brought it up, I've looked them up. Specifically looked up Lexus IS Sport Cross in manual. I found them, but I found them because they're manual swaps. Uh, and people are selling manual swaps, uh, which is the same reason that early on in the, in the life of the podcast, we locally saw a TSX sport wagon with a manual. And we were like, they come in manual. No, they didn't. That one came in manual. So when people swap the swap about, <laughs> that, that car is currently a manual. Yes. So awesome. when people swap them out, I get myself confused and it happened here. And I appreciate you calling it. Bob McCormick says, if we were in charge, what skill would we require every new driver Ooh. to show proficiency? What area would they show proficiency in before they get their driver's license? What would it be? What would we require? Without it, the driver does not get a license. It's hard to say, but every single one of them, I think, comes down to tires. Interesting. And it comes down to the tire patch. Mm. And I think it's the understanding that when you push on the gas or press on the brake, that does not automatically mean the car accelerates or slows. Oh, okay. It has to do with the surface that you're sure, on and sure. the tires that you have. Every time I go for a drive, I check the weather now. Mm, mm. Rain, sun, winter, snow, don't care. What car has the ideal tires that are suited for the temperature and the conditions outside? I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> Middle I, of the winter? No, but here, we're getting dumped I, on. The tires I, matter, yeah. They really do. And then I see many people who push on the brake as if it's summertime. You uh -huh. waited the distance that you would when it's July. <laughs> and you... This is the same, right? Expected the same reactions mm. out of the car. And that comes down to the tire patch and then the tire that is mounted on your car. If people understood that better, they would leave longer stopping distances. They wouldn't jump onto the gas right away because summertime driving just it warps you, especially in cities. It just mm. warps you because cars just kind of do what you think they'll do. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. then conditions come about and it's not quite sunny and a few drops of water on the road and it mixes with oil or winter yeah, conditions. Yeah, yeah. Things change completely. And I notice by 
two and a half months into the winter season, people around here finally go, oh, yeah, I need to drive differently. Huh. I need to not stab the brake. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> just to ease into it just, when, it's just, on, just when you're on ice. Make the pads connect, but don't like go for the stopping distance. You know what, Bob? The one that I think, and look, I'm going to say something. It goes back to the graduated license thing that we've argued about and will never happen. What I would really like to see wouldn't happen. But what I would really like to see is an autocross of some kind with a time limit mm. because that would require people to go at some sort of pace because the thing I think the average person has never felt is a car doing anything other than your typical drive straight commute. And I feel like the driver's test plays to the typical drive straight commute. Oh, you have to parallel park. Did you take any quarters in any kind of speed? Did you feel the car roll over at all? Did you feel the fact that you can brake or you can emergency brake? So where is the simple autocross with a little, uh, a little, you've got to do some S curves here and you've got to do an emergency braking and you maybe you need to back into this space and there is a time limit. I'm not saying that somebody needs to ride along with you. I'm saying if you didn't get it right or you knocked a cone, you got to do it again because people have yeah. no idea how a car feels at any kind of extreme. And when I say extreme here, I mean 70% of its capacity and beyond. Yeah. I'm not t- saying everything you can get out of it. I'm saying like just above 50%. Most people are like, oh my gosh, we're really moving. Or, oh, that corner's terrible. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> no, we're not. You know, <laughs> yeah. when a car yeah. leans over a little bit, most people freak out. So just having a sensation of the car has capabilities, and if you do something wrong, you clipped a cone. Low consequence, yeah. but consequence yeah. in, a, in a driver's test would be important. No, you're right. And there's something that you've said before that's resonated with me, and that is about emergency maneuvers, stopping or some sort of maneuver. The first time most people feel that reaction from a car is when they're actually yes. in an emergency. Yes. They should feel it and know it and understand what the car's body motions do in a safe environment Agreed. before that ever happens. So then they know, oh, suddenly I'm a little bit sideways. The back end's out. Uh-huh. That's not an unfamiliar feeling. Yeah. Oh, I know what to do. It's there. There's theory out there. The steer into the skid. Yeah. Most people don't even know what that means. <laughs> the skid? skid begins and they look at the pole they don't want right. to hit while t- turning in the way they've always turned. And guess what's going to happen? Pole. Like, pole. Yeah, most people like skidding. I don't skid. I don't need to know that. So speaking of tires and other things, uh, Richie on, I think it's, I think it's, maybe Rigi, it's on Twitter. He says he just arrived in Europe. Does he need winter tires and chains to drive on snow or is it one or the other? It is one or the other, my friend. If you have winter tires, chains typically become irrelevant. Now there may be extreme conditions where something crazy is happening, but generally in Europe also they require winter tires. Novel idea. In the winter, they require winter tires and in everything but the most ridiculous condition, you're going to be fine. Uh, in the U.S., California is a great example. Most people are running all seasons. You want to go up to Mammoth and it's snowing, you got to put chains on your car. Been there, done that. Yeah. Because you're not yeah. running winter tires in the middle of uh, January when it's 70 degrees in L.A. <laughs> Gary, the cycling nerd, is considering going to one car, 911 4S, or Cayman year-round for about hmm. $50,000. Gary, I have your car. It's from Chris in San Diego. He's going to be selling his 911 going with the two-car solution. <laughs> you probably heard that earlier. It's 4S, yeah. Okay. It's a 4S Cabriolet. It. That'll be perfect because cabriolet it's a lined top it'll be plenty insulated and toasty warm in the winter it's a 4s it's a pdk you'll love having it yeah gary i would absolutely drive a cayman year round because i'm that guy but you're right i understand that the 4s in your situation if you're worried about winters you'd be perfectly happy in fact i would argue that a 4s a 911 4s with winter tires with the possible exception of clearance will do better than any suv anybody picks with winter tires 
totally agree. Gary, this car has San Diego miles on it. <laughs> it does. San Diego so, miles. Good news. Let us know if you guys want us to connect you up and we'll let you take it from there. Mustang Frank asks if we need to consider or reconsider our car debate recommendations, mm. considering the fact that so many cars are simply unavailable or nearly impossible to purchase. Here's an example. When he called his local Volkswagen dealership about a 2023 Golf R, they told him, you're not getting one. <laughs> That's annoying, by oh. the way. But anyway, yeah. Same goes for many other new exciting cars like the GR Corolla. I want to, Mustang Frank. I, part of me feels like we should. But then I realize for how many people listen to the podcast and for as long as the podcast will be out there in, in the span of time, Sure. I know there will be people hearing this in the future, people going back and re-listening to this episode. We cannot account for every minutia in the market and everything mm -hmm. that's going on currently within the span of two to three to eight months. Sure. Now, I understand the car market has gone crazy for a couple of years now. Yeah. But I cannot... Your experience may vary. I cannot control dealerships mm -hmm. and... Price differentiation and price fluctuations and all that kind of stuff. All we can go on is what the manufacturers tell us. This is what we think the car should cost. Yeah, you're right. And by virtue of the used market, that just means here's what the current market is going for. That also changes dramatically. So if I say that 911 from here on out is always going to be $50,000, well, two or three years from now, it might be more. It might be less. It's hard to know. It's, and it's hard to stay ahead of for sure. Andy Lamb is asking about wheels. I'm not a guy that tunes cars, but I always am desperate to get other wheels. I don't know. It's just my thing. I just want to get <laughs> I want to get wheels that look different than the stock wheels. But anyway, he said he's looking at aftermarket wheels, and he said, aside from looks and size or offset to work for the car, what should he be looking for? Does it need to be lighter than stock? Are forge wheels worth it? They're double the cost. He's looking to replace 20-inch stock wheels on a Civic Type R. Okay. I would say they don't need to be lighter than stock, but be concerned if they're heavier. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're really close, or lighter is better, sure. But if you're really close, that's the place to be. A lot of times, you can buy wheels that uh, you you don't have to get the forged wheels and spend a fortune on wheels. I get it; they're very cool. You don't have to spend a fortune. You have a budget. I get it. Okay, mm -hmm. but try to find things that seem to have a similar total weight when you get it on the car to where the stock wheel was. I mean, pretty it's pretty similar. You could go down from twenties to nineteens on your Civic Type R, get a little more sidewall, probably a little bit better ride, and maybe more tire choices. That's mm -hmm. something you also need to consider: mm -hmm. is the wheel you're going to will that increase your number of tire options or decrease it that's one of the reasons sometimes people get bigger wheels on a lotus elise is because oh, i can get tires now has happened a lot yeah, but yeah. the lotus is very sensitive to weight so it's a big concern in there so think about the tires that are available think about the total weight of what's going to happen you don't have to spend a fortune there's a lot of good wheels out there inky makes great wheels that aren't that expensive mm -hmm, i've mm -hmm. had multiple sets of inky wheels and they've been really good there are others as well we have those oz wheels right now on the 86 and they're phenomenal actually lighter than stock they were a bit pricey but they weren't crazy revs up asks where we got our winter tires or where do you get all weather tires he keeps trying to go to tire rack and they never have all weather or true winter tires that fit his stock wheels on the gr86 with 18s Go to Discount Tire or America's Tire. They do mm. the exact same thing Tire Rack does. They'll be at your doorstep in a heartbeat. We like those guys. Great company. Surprised he's having trouble finding them. But anyway, Chris is saying, why does his girlfriend love her 2014 white fusion energy? Do you notice she, she uh, glommed onto the thread uh, Oh, I didn't actually there. see. What That's did she her. say? That's on the, uh, That's on the thread. That's funny. I didn't, I didn't she see corrected what she said. Added. It was a 2013. So oh, I'm so sorry. Corrected. He said that his Fiesta ST gets about the same gas mileage. Remember, she has the fusion energy, so it's supposed to get lots of good gas mileage. His Fiesta <laughs> ST gets almost the same gas mileage has way more trunk space 
because it's a hatch. And he said, uh, yeah, she still thinks that she, she's riding in a toy car. We're talking about size, Chris. We're talking about the sheer size of a car. And there is a perception, absolutely, that is hard to break. I was, I was raised on Caprice Classics, okay? I am, <laughs> I am. Who gets to say that? Yeah, seriously. I am like in, I, I'm the, <laughs> hi, my name is Todd. I'm having that moment, all right? I was raised on Caprices. Hi, Todd. Anyway, so the thing is, I was raised on huge cars, and I, it was weird to step down to smaller cars mm. because I, my first perception of smaller cars was like, is this okay? Is this, I mean, <laughs> is this is, allowed? Is this, is this, is it dangerous? Is it weird? I mean, the first, I happened yeah. to have an Audi 90. Oh, that's right. A used Audi 90 in the early 2000s. And it just, it worked out that way. We had a car die. We had a friend selling this car. I, I was like, I've never had thing. an Audi. I'm curious about it. It was a front wheel drive, small car. Of all the Audis to have and and define your Audi experience from, that's not the one to have. Probably not the one to have. But here was the thing, though. It was my first German car, my first front-wheel drive, my first small car. Hmm. And I remember hooning that thing like crazy. When it ran, there were issues. <laughs> but, but I remember hooning that thing like crazy, and it was revolutionary to me to be like, there are things about this I don't like, mm. but suddenly I'm recognizing what smaller and lighter means. If your girlfriend is not a person that is driving for fun then small is just more dangerous. Small is just, why did we get littler? Mm. And so the mm-hmm. bigger car feels safer. It feels more stable. And this is back to what I was saying about the autocross for your driving test. If a good driver to you is somebody that just always keeps the car stable, is that good driving? Right. Is it? You're, you're steering it, around the land. Isn't it okay when the car leans a little bit? But the Fiesta ST is this little compact thing with no extra move, uh, no extra movement. You you lean on it and it goes, okay, we'll go that way. Oh, oh I'll generate this way. The yeah. Fusion is not doing that. <laughs> right. So it's right. like, do you want to fly on a big Airbus or do you want to take a Cessna 150? They're mm. a little different. Mm-hmm. Slightly different flying experiences, both flying. You got to understand where she is. That's great. Uh, last question for me is from Isaiah Smith 44. What are our opinions on performance SUVs mm. such as the X3M competition or Porsche SUVs? This is my opinion, Isaiah. <laughs> Aren't cars great? Uh, wow. Cars Tactfully are, done. Cars are great. Tactfully I, done. I, I love them all. <laughs> Except for canoe. <laughs> Except for canoe. I love it. There There's will never be a canoe GT. I, I predict now. Okay. No Can, canoe GTRs or GTs or I, GTSs. Is or that S's. just because it looks like a Tylenol on wheels? Is that a Tylenol it's with good. a wing? The Tylenol S. The Tylenol PM. The Tylenol, <laughs> <laughs> the Tylenol GTS. Yeah. Now for late night racing. Yeah. Guys, write to us all your questions and your car debates, Topic Tuesdays, Car Conclusions, EverydayDriverTV at gmail.com. We really appreciate your social media questions. Yeah, we do. It's great. We're looking forward to next time, as always. Cheers, everyone.